If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Amos, and we'll be in chapter number 7 tonight. And in chapter number 7, we're going to be looking at, we're heading into the last section of the book of Amos, in which Amos is going to get these five visions of the judgment that's about to come upon Israel. And the first vision that he's going to get is this vision of a swarm of locusts coming down upon the nation. Does that sound familiar? Those of you who have been here uh, for the last few months, what does it remind you of? It reminds you of the book of Joel. Uh, they were very familiar with locust plagues there, but they had had one about uh, a half century before Amos is prophesying about another one coming that was, remember what Joel said about it? It was the worst locust plague that it, the nation has ever had, and it'll be the worst plague that they, they will ever have. Now, he was, speaking, he was speaking to the southern kingdom, and Amos is speaking to the northern kingdom. So they would be very familiar with this great plague. They probably, uh, you know, it was in their history books. So it was all the people knew about the plague and how terrible it was when it came upon the southern kingdom. So he's going to talk about this plague in verse number 1, or he's going to prophesy about this plague in verse number 1. Thus the Lord showed me. Behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Now they had two crops in Israel. They would have the first crop, the first harvest, and then they would have, toward the end of the year, they would have a second harvest. And a lot of farmers do that today, so that's not, you know, that's, that's kind of the way farming is, so that's not anything unusual there. And, and this locust plague comes at the beginning of the late crop, and indeed, indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. I like that term that Amos has used. What does he mean by the king's mowings? Well, Amos is kind of painting the same picture that uh, you and I have uh, when, we get our, when you get your paychecks. Uh, you really don't make anything until the IRS gets theirs first. What do they say now? It's like in May before you're really making any money. And so before you've paid all of your taxes. And so the king's mowings are, are uh, he takes his cut. And, and basically, a farmer in Israel, during these two harvests, he would make enough money in the first harvest to pay all his labor, to pay all his bills, to pay for all his seeds. And then really, his profits came in the second harvest. And so basically, what Amos is saying, and this was a harvest that they really rejoiced over, the last harvest, because this is when they, you know, they were done with their work for the year, basically, or a lot of their work for the year, and they were actually going to... Uh, they were actually going to reap some profits and get to spend some money, and, they, and it, was a you know, it was a time of celebration. But right before this uh, second harvest, this plague of locusts comes, and it was so terrible. It was so terrible. Listen to what Amos does in verse number 2. And so it was in my vision that when they had finished eating the grass of the land, it was so bad, it was so bad and so terrible, that I said, O oh Lord, forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand. I mean, Lord, please don't let this happen because he is so small. He's so small. I mean, the Israelites thought they were something else. They thought they were the most powerful nation on earth. And maybe at that time they were pretty powerful. But they just didn't see anything that could bring them down. And Amos has his vision, and he sees just how terrible it is, the outcome of this great plague is, 
And what does it lead him to do? It leads him to pray for the nation. And he prays, oh, Lord, forgive, forgive the nation, forgive me. I mean, forgive us. It reminds me of the prayer of Daniel. Remember when Daniel prayed for the nation? He prayed, hey, he didn't say forgive them. He said, forgive us, Lord. Show us mercy. Uh, don't, don't judge us. Show us mercy. And so uh, Amos makes this prayer of intercession. You know, I love what James says over in James chapter 5. He says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. And I got to believe that Amos was a righteous man. And, and I have no doubt that the Lord takes pleasure in our intercessory prayers, especially for one another, but also for our nation, when we pray for our nation. I believe the change that we've had politically this past year came as an answer to prayer. There are a lot of things that I don't like about the government that's going in, but there's a lot of things I do. There are a lot of positive changes going on right now. How long that's going to last, I don't know. How much they're going to be able to get done because, because there's so much opposition to doing the right thing that, that I don't know that we'll get that much done. But at least it's a, you know, it's a, I believe it's an answer to prayer. I know I, that's what I was praying. God listened to our prayers. God hears our prayers. And, and so Amos does the right thing here. He prays for the nation but at the same time, he doesn't question God's right to judge the people. He doesn't, he, one of the other things he doesn't do, he doesn't say, Lord, look how wicked they are. Get them, destroy them, understand what you're doing. No, he has a heart for these people. I mean, he, 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 he's, I can just almost see a tear in his eyes as he, as he uh, speaks these prophecies because he feels his heart goes out to to the nation, even though it's the northern kingdom and not the southern kingdom, that's really part of their nation. Those are his brothers. And so he cries out, Lord, forgive them. Don't let this terrible plague come upon the nation. And look at, look at what happens. The Lord answered his prayer. Look at verse number three. So the Lord resented, relented concerning this and says it shall not be, says the Lord. And so, hey, man, that's, a, that's an encouraging little verse right there that if a righteous man or a righteous woman prays for someone who or some nation that's about to experience some disaster you know the Lord will relent and so he says it shall not be and then Amos has another vision of a future judgment and this one even worse look at verse number four thus the Lord God showed me behold the Lord God called for conflict by fire so there's this great fire that is so hot and so terrible that it devours the land and probably it's, it, it's the result of a drought. There's some drought that takes place and all the ground is dry and all the plants are dry and all the trees are dry. And so it consumes the land and it consumes so much of the land and gets so hot that even, look at the last part, it consumed the great deep. It made the oceans, the Mediterranean boil and made it evaporate. And it devoured the territory. I mean, it was, it, it was a fire that basically just wipes out the nation of Israel. And he has this vision. He, this, is a, this is a prophecy of something God's about to do. And he sees this in a vision. 
And what's he going to do again? What's he going to do? He's going to pray. He begins to pray for the nation. And, and look what happens, verses 5 and 6. Then I said, O oh Lord God, cease, cease, please, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. I mean, Jacob isn't as tough as they, uh, Israel isn't as tough as they think they are. He's speaking of Israel when he speaks of Jacob. They're really small. They're really, they're just a tiny sliver of land when you look at a, 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 an atlas of the world. They're, they're a very small nation, a very small people, a very insignificant people to most of the people in the world, but, but not to the Lord. And they weren't to Amos either. And so he says, I mean, look how small they are. Lord, they, they need your help. They, they can't withstand a, a plague like this. So the Lord relented concerning this plague. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Now, I wonder if that changed the nation of Israel because these two plagues didn't take place. They, went, they didn't even know this was going on. So they went right on living in their wicked ways ungrateful to God, uh, uh, filled with, uh, the nation was filled with all sorts of wickedness and idolatry. And, and so God now is going to show Amos how hopelessly wicked they are. How really, I can't do anything else but judge them. And he uses another vision here, verse number 7. He said, thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall and made, uh, on a wall made with a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. Now, what's a plumb line used for? It's used to make sure that the wall's straight, to make sure that the walls are square. If the walls aren't straight, you're going to have a, an unstable building that will sooner or later fall. And that's the picture that he's painting here for Amos. And what's God's plumb line? What's his plumb line? It's his word. His word is his plumb line. And so he lays out the plumb line of his word and then he shows Amos how far they are, how crooked they are away from that line that God has set. And so I'm going to, it's almost as if God is saying to Amos, I'm going to have to judge them. Look at how far off they are being what they should be. And, and they're going to fall on their own. It's almost mercy that I'm going to judge them. Then in verse number 9, he says, he, he says, I'm going to judge them, and this is what's going to happen, the Lord says. The high places, the places of worship, shall be desolate. desolate. The sanctuaries or the homes of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. And so the places of worship are going to be destroyed, their homes are going to be destroyed, and even the king himself, his home, is going to be destroyed. Now, what we're going to do at this point, we're going to get a little insight to how people are receiving Amos' message. Remember what I told you when we finished chapter 1 and about half of chapter 2? I told you at that point, Amos was probably the most popular preacher in all of Israel. I think that's how he got this audience that he had and gained, gained a little fame because he was running around the country preaching what? He was preaching judgment of the surrounding nations. And everybody was going, amen, amen. They deserve it. They're wicked people. They're not God's people. We're God's people. Way to go, Amos. But then all of a sudden, Amos zeroed in on his target. And who was his target? The northern kingdom. And he says, you're evil too, and you're going to be judged. And so at that point, he wasn't so popular. Nobody wanted to listen to Amos. 
I don't know anybody wants to listen to Amos now. I mean, we're getting smaller and smaller here. I'll be lucky if we got anybody left when we finish. Uh, but uh, they, they didn't want to listen to him. In fact, they wanted him silenced altogether. That's, that's what we're going to see in the narrative that we get next. We get a little bit of narrative in the book of Amos, and we get to hear it in verses beginning verse 10 and 11. Listen to what he says. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, he was the high priest of the northern kingdom. I mean, he was the Billy Graham of the northern kingdom. Actually, I use that in, in contrast because Billy Graham was a good man. Amaziah was not. But he was a big will. He was a big, he was the most famous religious guy in all of Israel. And Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Jeroboam II. And Amos at this point, like as I said earlier, had pretty much made a name for himself. People knew who he was. Even the king knew who he was. Even Amaziah, the high priest, knew who he was. But he's stirring up a lot of trouble now. And so Amaziah says to Jeroboam, he says, Amos has conspired against you. He's conspired against you, the king himself, to in the midst of the house of Israel. And what he's saying is so terrible that the nation is not able to bear all his words. I mean, he's, telling, he's, he's really harsh. He's talking about imminent doom. We don't want to listen to that. And he's saying to you, about you, Jeroboam, that you're doomed too. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Now, was Amos conspiring against Jeroboam? No. God was conspiring against Jeroboam. God was conspiring against the people of Israel. But all Amos was doing was speaking the word of God. He was speaking the truth that unless the nation repented, then judgment was coming and, and they were going to go into captivity and Jeroboam was going to go down with them. That's what he was preaching. You know, you go back to those first few verses there, and he proved his heart by, by the very fact that he was praying for the nation, that God would spare them. He didn't want to see them judged. He wasn't conspiring against them. He wasn't applauding the fact that God was about to judge the nation. He, he, he wanted them to repent. And, 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 they, and if, if they would have repented, God would have shown them mercy. And that's what Amos wanted for them. But here you got this guy, Amaziah, and I have no doubt he's one of these prosperity guys, what I would call a, a liberal preacher who didn't believe in the little interpretation of the word of God, who, who really saw God as evolving and, and what, what was wicked, you know, back in the days of Moses isn't wicked now. You know, God wouldn't certainly loves us and he certainly wouldn't judge us because uh, we've gone... Uh, into all of these sexual experiments. Uh, God, God's, God's, God's different now than he was way back then. And, and he wants us to prosper. And he loves everybody, and everybody's going to go to heaven. And, I, and I'm going to say something here. Anytime 
you preach the whole counsel of the word of God, you go against those kind of preachers. They don't, they don't want any, they don't like you. They don't want to do any, have anything to do with you because, because uh, uh, it goes against what they believe. It goes against their position and their, the money they're making and the power that they have. And they don't want to relinquish any of that. You know, I feel for Amos. I got to tell you, I mean, in, even in this little church right here, I mean, I understand, I understand how he must have felt because, because I have people, they'll come to me for help. And I got to tell you, I would rather not get involved in all of your stuff, to be honest with you, but it comes with the territory. As a pastor, you're supposed to help people and get involved in their stuff if they ask for you to do that. But when I get involved in somebody's stuff, all I try to do is tell them what I think God would tell them to do. And really, I, what I would rather they do is just get with God, and God will tell them what to do. But if they don't want to listen to God, I'll tell them what the Word says they should do. But you know what happens a lot of times when you do that? You become the enemy. They hate you. They get mad at you. I mean, I'm like, what are you getting mad at me for? I mean, I didn't create this problem. I don't want anything to do with this problem. And I think Amos was feeling the same way. I mean, I didn't, I'm not the wicked one in Israel. I'm not the, the evil head of a, a false religion like you are, Amaziah. You know, all I'm doing is proclaiming the word of God that God called me to proclaim. And now I've become your enemy. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. Amos wasn't the problem here, was he? Who was the problem? Amaziah was the problem. He was the head of the religious order of Israel. He should have been doing the right thing. He should have been warning the people that judgment was coming. Instead, he was tickling their ears. Amaziah was the problem. Jeroboam was the problem. The wicked people of Israel were the problem. Amos wasn't the problem. So, what did Amaziah do? He did what most people do when they don't like what they're hearing from the Word of God. They leave or they tell you to go away. Look at verse number 12. Then Amaziah said to Amos, go you seer. Now that's not a complimentary term there. He meant that in a negative context. He meant as, meant as if he was some kind of witch or evil magician or something like that. He said, you go, you seer. Pretty harsh. Go back home, and you better flee because your life's in danger. And when he says flee, that's what he means by that. You flee back to the land of Judah, and there eat your bread, and there prophesy. In other words, you go back to the southern kingdom where you belong, back to that Bible belt down there because the southern kingdom was still pretty conservative at that point. Here we are. We've, we've, we've experienced a new thing. We've, we've evolved with God, and we, we see things differently than y'all do down there in, in that uh, hick land down there where you, you, know, you believe that the Bible is really the word of God. We, we see things differently than that. We don't want you here telling us what to do. We don't want you here telling us that we're about to be judged. And there was this kind of rivalry between, kind of like there is in the United States today, between the north and the south, and they didn't want any southern preachers up there 
telling them what to do. Amaziah didn't want them up there. You go back down there and preach to your choir, preach to your people, don't preach to us. You know, I remember a few months back, Governor Como of New York said that any Christian in New York who proclaims that sexuality, uh, that homosexuality is a sin has no place in the state of New York. We want you to leave. Go down south where people teach that kind of stuff, but don't, we don't want you here in New York. Well, I got news for you. I don't want to be in New York anyway, but kind of like Ted Cruz about that. Verse number 13, but never again prophesy in Bethel, for this is the king's sanctuary. It's the royal resident. I mean, this is an important place for important people, and you're not an important person. You're a hick preacher from down in, in, in Tekoa. What are you up here doing at the palace and at the, at the main church telling people that we're doomed and we're about to be judged? I've got to ask you a question just looking at this little scenario right here. What king was Amaziah serving? He, he wasn't serving the king of kings and the Lord of lords, was he? He was serving King Jeroboam. And, and, and probably uh, he was being rewarded for that. He was a lot like that guy Diotrophes that, that we saw uh, Sunday in our study in 3 John, this guy who loved preeminence, who loved being important, who loved the pay, who loved the position, who loved the rewards of being a preacher. And he didn't want anybody messing with that. And as far as he was concerned, everything up here was just fine, thank you. Leave us alone. I'm the one who will tell if God's got something to say to these people. Well, God, I don't think, liked what he was saying. But I love the way Amos answers him. Listen to Amos. I love the way he answers him. He says, then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. I, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep herder and a tender of sycamore fruit. I was a, a, a farmer of sycamore fruit and a sheep herder. That was my profession. That was my living. I'm not a professional minister like you. My dad wasn't a professional minister like you. I was born to be a sheep herder. I was born to be a sycamore uh, grower. Farmer, that's what I was born to be. I wasn't a professional like you. But the Lord called me, is what he says. Look at verse number 15. Now, I don't know if he embraced this call or not. I know he was obedient to the call. But he said, then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. Reminds you of David, doesn't it? I mean, David was out tending his sheep, and then one next day he's... He's anointed king of Israel. He didn't become king quite yet then, but he was anointed king of Israel. It was a real easy process for him to take the throne, wasn't it? No, when God calls you, when God calls you, it's, you almost go, uh-oh. I mean, you don't, I mean, you don't say, wow, I've just, I've just arrived. I've hit the, you know, I've, I've got the life of ease for the rest of my life. I've been called by God. It's not like that. He said, he says in verse 15, Then the Lord took me, and I, as I followed the flock, the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel, to the northern kingdom. So Amos wasn't 
born in the ministry. He wasn't looking to go into the ministry. God called him into the ministry. His chosen profession was to be a farmer. And God called him into the ministry. And that's a really important lesson because I don't believe anybody should go into the ministry that's not called. I'm talking about specifically called by God. People ask me sometimes, should I go into the ministry? And I say, if you have a calling, and not, I don't think so. Well, I say, you'll know so. When you have a calling, God will give you a specific calling. You'll know. It's not a profession that you go into. It's not a job, although it becomes a profession and a job it's just by the nature of it. But you go into the ministry because God calls you into the ministry. And if he calls you into the ministry, he's going to empower you for your ministry. And when you're sure of your calling, a couple of things happen. One is, you, if you're sure of your calling, your ministry is going to be empowered by God. You're going to sense the presence of God in your ministry. You're going to sense the power of God in your ministry. And the most important thing to you, for you, if you're called into the ministry, won't be how much you're going to get paid, won't be how, how much people are going to like you, it won't be... Uh, you know, what kind of parsonage you're going to get, the most important thing will be to you is to please the Lord if you're really called. And if you're really called, then you're not going to care what other people think about you. I mean, a, a, a true prophet of God doesn't care what other people... I mean, Amos didn't care if he, if he had lost his job in the northern kingdom. He probably was ready to leave the northern kingdom. And I would be, it would be very interesting to know what happened to him after that. I believe he would have kept on preaching until they killed him. Or maybe at this point, when we finish here, God sends him home back to his farm. Or maybe he becomes a preacher down in the southern kingdom. Who knows? We don't, we don't know. But we do know that he was called. And I love the fact that he mentions his calling. Now, Amaziah has had his word. And he thinks he's a pretty big shot. How big of a shot is he in the eyes of God? He's a nothing. He's worse, lower than an ant. Nothing. And what did we see Sunday about touching God's anointed? Better not mess with God's anointed. Better not threaten God's anointed. And uh, so Amos says, hey, now I've got a few choice words to say to you. Now, for, now therefore, don't listen to me. Hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Well, I'm not going to stop, Amos says. Therefore, thus says the Lord, right away he comes at him. And this one's going to be really personal. Listen to what he says. He says, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey lines. But to, among your captors, you shall die in a defiled, strange land, and Israel shall surely be a let shall surely be led away captive from his own land. And you look at what's going. You look at what ISIS does when they go into a area. Now that's ex, that's exactly what they do. They take the women and they turn them into sex slaves. They take the sons and daughters and they kill them because they're not big enough to work. And they don't want to have to feed them, and so they kill them. And then they take the, the, then they take the property and they divide it up among themselves, and then they, and then they uh, 
take the, the able-bodied man and they take them off to captivity and they use them as their slaves. They use them to do their hard work. And that's exactly what Amos was saying was going to happen to Amaziah. And that's exactly what did happen to Amaziah. I don't, I, I, you, there's no place in the Bible I think you can read about that. Maybe, I don't think there's anything in the Kings about Amaziah after this, but, but I didn't check. I should have checked. Maybe there is, but I don't think so. Not him specifically. But we do know that they went into captivity. And that, uh, that God had the power to make this prophecy happen just as Amaziah spoke it. And that's so we finished chapter number seven. You know, I think there's I think there's a great lesson here, or a good lesson here, a good model for us as far as how we're to deal with people in these last days. Because we're living in a time where we're rapidly approaching the day of judgment, the great tribulation. And Amos was approach, uh, kind of a mini great tribulation. That day was rapidly, they were about 40 years away from that final judgment uh, of the northern kingdom when Amos was speaking these words. And so he gives us a really good model for how we're to act in those times. Number one, the thing that I see in the first part of this chapter is the first thing that we shouldn't do is cheer for all this stuff to end. That shouldn't be our heart. There's something wrong with our heart if we're staying, you know, it's, it is a balance because part of me says, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But then the other part of me, the good part, the Lord's part immediately says he wishes that none should perish. And that it causes, it should, we should be like Amos and we should pray for, those, for the lost people. We should pray for the wicked nation that we live in, for the wicked nations around this world. Really, I think primarily for our own nation. That should be our heart. That's the first thing we should do. Lord, forgive us. And, and please give us more time so we can see more people get saved. Put off that terrible day as long as you will, Lord, so that more lost people will be saved. That should be our heart. Again, balanced with the fact that we, we long for the Lord's return. I mean, selfishly, we long for the Lord's return. But then the, the love of God in us says, hey, Lord, please give us more time. Give us more chances. Give us more opportunities. I, I think the other thing that we learn from Amos about how to deal with people during these dark times we're approaching and really we're in the midst of right now, is that we shouldn't be concerned about what other people think about us. We should be mostly concerned about what God thinks about us. And so we put God first. We put God's will first. We put our ministries first, our calling. Everybody's got a ministry. I've said that on several occasions. We all have some ministry. And serving God should be put 
at the top of the list. And, and even if people don't like it, we keep doing it. We don't stop. And then the third thing I see from Amos, and this kind of relates to the second thing I just mentioned, is we got to tell it like it is. We can't be afraid to tell it like it is, no matter what the consequences. The, the, there's a fire coming. It's the fires of judgment, the fires of hell. Plagues beyond anything Amos saw in his visions, they're coming soon on this earth. And we need to warn people that that time is coming soon and not be afraid to warn people and not be afraid, again, going back to the second thing I said, what they think about us. There's a judgment coming. We're ambassadors of reconciliation, not condemnation. And we're not out condemning people. We're warning people. And we shouldn't be afraid to warn people. We shouldn't hide in a hole and stick our heads in the sand to let somebody else do it. We should be out on the front lines just like Amos was. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we do live in very, very dark times. Times so similar to the times of Amos. Lord, and just, we ask that you, you use us as, in a, just a powerful way as you used him. Lord, he wasn't a popular guy for most part of his ministry. He was at first, but not at the end. He wasn't liked by, by the most important religious people in the world, Lord, but he said what you told him to say. And he wasn't afraid of the consequences. Lord, help us to be like that. We can only be like that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your grace, Lord. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be loving. Help us to be kind. Help us to be concerned enough to pray for other people, Lord. Lord, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your forgiveness. Help our land, Lord. Help the lost people in this land. Help us to help them. We ask all of that in Christ's name. Amen.